love, hate, war, death, liberty, passion, religion, the future, the past, life, people, my people, our people, accounts, accounts of life, accounts of death, accounts of it. My, my account, account of it. it. Welcome to My Account of It. I'm Teresa Adams. And I'm Baronda Lyons. We continue to celebrate the wonderful work of great ladies. Today, we're talking about Phyllis Wheatley, America's first African-American poet. She was born in 1753 in Senegal, Africa. At seven years old, Phyllis was sold to John and Susanna Wheatley in Boston. She was supposed to be their attendant, but the Wheatleys decided to raise her as one of their children. They taught her to write and read English, and at the age of 12, she was reading Latin and Greek classics and the Bible. She published her first collection of poems in 1773 the first book by an African-American to be published. Here is one of her poems. Listen. T'was mercy brought me from my pagan land, taught my benighted soul to understand that there's a God, that there's a Savior too. Once I redemption, neither sought, not knew. Some view our sable race with scornful eye. Their color is a diabolic dye. Remember Christians, Negroes black as Cain, may be refined and joining the angelic train. Wow. Teresa, what did you think of that point? I thought that even though they believed that they were giving Phyllis a gift by bringing her here to America, that to her, this was not a welcoming place. And that came through in the stories that she wrote and the poetry that she wrote. She didn't believe that they thought of her as an equal. Which was probably true. Um, It's interesting to me that famous image that we see of her everywhere Mm -hmm. at the desk with Mm -hmm. the pen and paper. Mm -hmm. They think of it as this her being this famous poet, but the sign clearly states that she is a servant. So even though she was supposed to be raised as one of their children, she was still described as a servant. servant. Well, I think that's the irony in it. Yes. Not only in the photos, but also in her ability to be this acclaimed poet. It's kind of the... It's like when the bands could come and perform, but they still had to come through the back door. They still had to eat in the kitchen or outside. They're like, okay, yeah, come perform. Oh, but now go on to the back. Or I want you to be, I'm going to raise you as my child, but you're still going to know your place. And I think a lot of that when we read these accounts, like I've read a few accounts where people's um, former slaves knew their fathers. Their fathers were their owners. For the most part, the owners, you know, in a, whatever way you can take care of a child that you treat as a slave or that you own as property, took care of their children. And, you know, at the, I guess, after the Civil War, they would send their children to Fisk, Howard. I mean, they, they would make sure that they had an education, but there was still a certain line You know, I can only educate you to this point or I can only support you to this point. And think about um, Strom Thurmond's daughter, Mm -hmm. how he knew she was his daughter. He um, was a segregationist, Mm -hmm. but he still he kept a level of distance. No one else knew that it was his daughter, but a few small amount of people. But he did provide for her. Right. And in her, you know, have you ever read a book? No. It's actually this um, profound thing because 
one story that really stuck out to me was her husband wanted to be an attorney. Well, at the time, I think they're from South Carolina. The, the law school at, in South Carolina would not admit black people. So Strom Thurmond got the funding to start a law school at the historically black school for his daughter's husband. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, you get part, you know, you get the part where, yeah, he's treating her like this stepchild, kind of like um, Wheatley felt, you know, like I'm still not my own person, but mm-hmm. they taught her how to read. That That's was true. a lot better than what some people did. But Yeah. So if you ever get a chance, you should really read. Um, her name is Essie Mae Williams. Letters from my father. Okay. And um, that's the book about her relationship with Strom Thurmond, how he paid for her to go to school. When her child wanted to get into UCLA, he made things happen so the child could get into UCLA. And her husband died. She became a widow early on. And he just, you know, for the most part, took care of her. Not officially took care of her, but like would send her money, would make sure whatever. And his lesson to her was always... Are you drinking enough water? That's interesting. Well, he was a health freak. Mm -hmm. And um, that was his way of, I guess, showing her that he cared about her. When he'd see her, he'd say, oh, you're gaining too much weight, SMA. You can't eat this. You can't do that. Wow. I got on a completely different tangent, but. (laughs) It's okay. No, it's not. I should stick to the thing. So, yeah, I think it was astonishing what she wrote in the uh, poem. It just—it's the way of life. It very—it very much is. Yeah, I don't know. When I look at that image, I see this person who has these deep-seated resentments about this experience mm. she's having on a different. Do you level. get that from the photo or from the poems now? Um, probably a little bit of both. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of. I'm sure in the people who raised her, in their minds, they were doing something very, very profound. True. Very true. And then in her perception is, well, why did you buy me? You know, like, why do I have to be a slave? Period. Because we're still talking about a 12-year-old child who only has a certain level of comprehension about what's happening with her. Right. And one day I'm with my parents or and now I'm here with you. You know, um, Teresa, that's an interesting context because whenever she wrote this poem, I don't know how old she was when she wrote it, but I wonder how much, if she lived to be 80 or 100, how much different would her perception have been than when she wrote this poem and her perception at that time? That's a good question. Wow. I'm sure we can go through some of her poems and we'll probably find out. It's because you read how people evolve. For instance, Lorraine Hansberry, Mm -hmm. she wrote A Raisin in the Sun. And then a few years ago, um, a few years later, she wrote I'm Sick and Tired or I Am Tired Of. Mm -hmm. And the first thing on the list was A Raisin in the Sun. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what was the first Probably. I would not be surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because people get um, compartmentalized into these 
these characters, these groups of this this character or this thing that made them famous and they can't stray away from it. They can't it move forward and do something. And else. your perception changes. Mm-hmm. And you you think I did that and now I want to move on. on to some- I, and then um, I think that's interesting as an artist mm-hmm. because you can play with something all day because every day a new experience gives you a new look on things. Right. Right. But you have to. So I don't know how that fits in with that, but <laughs> no, it's just something it's food for thought for our listeners. That's yeah. What it is. You can let us know what you think about this poem. I personally, I, I read it, but I'm not really the most, I don't, interpret poems very well mm-hmm. that's just not my gift okay well we'll let them interpret it for us yes I like. and that. you can let us know what you think at myaccountofit.com you can catch us on facebook twitter instagram snapchat, snapchat. hey we're young over here <laughs> let us know what you think catch you next week bye bye